Successful Farming and Corteva AgriScience present the seventh edition of the Farm School podcast. I'm Lori Boyer. Corteva provides cutting-edge solutions for farmers worldwide. Learn more at Corteva.com. So much is asked of today's farmers. You need to be business leaders, entrepreneurs, engineers, and surveyors of the soil. That's why Corteva partners with farmers gathering insights in the fields to enhance the innovations in the labs, creating agricultural and economic solutions for the current and future challenges farmers face. Because when you strive for better, you thrive together. Corteva, keep growing. Today's topic is early soybean planting. I'm joined by Matt Miles, who is a fourth-generation Arkansas farmer farming in the Mississippi Delta region. Matt, let's find out a little bit more about you and your background to get things rolling here today. So my background, I'm, I'm a farmer in Deshaies County, Arkansas. I'm in the southeast corner of Arkansas, so I'm literally 8 to 10 miles from Mississippi and about 30 miles from Louisiana. That kind of gives you an idea of the geographical location. We farm a little over 10,000 acres. That would be me, my son, my wife, and my daughter-in-law. So it's a family operation. We also have some vertically integrated businesses. We have a trucking company, a retail fertility sales business, semi-repair shop, trucking company, different things that will actually, I guess, appreciate the farming operation. Are you originally from that area? I am born and raised here. Matt, when you look at the rest of the area, would you say your farming operation is pretty traditional or would you say it's unique? Oh, they're definitely different. You know, we always try to stay outside the box instead of inside the box. So as our farmers progressed, you know, we've tried different things to try to increase yield in all the different crops. We grow multiple crops. We grow corn, soybeans, cotton, rice, and wheat. Do you have livestock? We do not. That's one thing we do not have. Okay. I've got one dog and, and I feed that one dog and that's the only one I'm responsible to feed. <laughs> Matt, I'm going to assume you're primarily irrigated, or do you have any dry land crops there on your operation? 100% irrigated. I, the difference in irrigated and dry land in our area, there's no dry land farmers left. Just take, you know, soybeans, for instance, a irrigated yield will be somewhere between 60 and 90 bushels, and a non-irrigated to be between 5 and 25. It's just not feasible anymore. Most of the dry land areas have been converted to irrigation or either put back in CRP or some other type of, of product. What kind of irrigation are we talking? Sprinklers, flood? You would call it flood. Most people call it flood. We call it furrow irrigation. So we're on a raised bed system. So we actually go in and make rows every 38 inches. And then we lay polytubing, which is a plastic uh, pipe, rollout pipe that we lay every year, have to pick it back up. And we'll punch a certain diameter hole in between the two rows. And it goes from the front of the field to the back of the field. And how's that beneficial? Like what makes that different than just traditional flood irrigating, if you will? Well, as far as flood irrigating, we consider flood irrigating to be like levees. So if you think about a rice field, you know, so you get too much water at one time and sometimes you can't get that off. Or if you're irrigating prior to a big rain event, you know, you can get too much water, which will actually damage the crop. Pivot irrigation, there's still some of that going on here. But we're so hot and we have so much humidity that actually a pivot can't keep up like furrow irrigation will as far as yield. A lot of the countries experienced extreme drought, other parts of the country, too much moisture. What about your area this past growing season? This past growing season was really unique, was actually one that I told Lane the other day. I said, you need to write this down, this harvest down, because you won't see this again in 20 years. 
we normally we get about 55 to 60 inches of rainfall a year. The problem is we get most of that in March and April when we need to be planting. And then when the time comes for reproductive stage on our crops, we're normally lacking then. Our biggest limiting factor is heat and the nighttime temperatures. So during the pollination of corn and when beans went into reproductive stage, we had very mild temperatures and plenty of moisture, which is something that's not normal. Then after the crop basically, you know, put its fruit on, then it got extremely hot. So it was kind of a weird year. But in, since August the 18th, we've only had two measurable rains. So our harvest was absolutely fantastic as far as being able to get that out with a lot of, you know, adverse moisture. Matt, going back to talking about how you do things a little bit more unique or different in your area of those is when you plant soybeans. I understand you plant soybeans earlier than normal. So tell me a little bit more about that and why you decided to do that. So we were predominantly cotton farmers on our better land prior to 2006. So as cotton prices started going down, we lost some infrastructure in the cotton industry. In six, we started growing soybeans and corn on this same land cotton land being our best land. What we seen was the kinder we treated the soybean, the more it yielded. So, you know, we started instilling a lot of things that we would do in our cotton crop to our soybean crop. And then we just started kind of pushing that date earlier. So our normal planting date on soybeans 15 years ago would be probably May the 10th. Seven years ago was April 15th. Now we've actually started pushing that back earlier and earlier and earlier And each time we do that, we get rewarded. You know, sometimes it'll be two bushels, sometimes it'll be 12. And that can also go the other way if you have the wrong conditions during reproductive. But on an average, you know, we're picking up more bushels the earlier we go. Now, how early is too early? That's what we're still trying to figure out. And I've crossed that line this year where it was a little bit too early, but the year before it wasn't. So, you know, we're still working on that aspect, but it has definitely made a difference in our operation. Soybean yield is... The number one dictator of soybean yield, in my opinion, is the timing of planting. How many acres do you have dedicated to soybeans then? This year we had 5,500, roughly half of our crop. What kind of soil temperatures do you need to even consider planting? And and that's kind of a double-edged sword there. You can actually plant when the soil temperatures aren't really conducive to plant, and that soybean will sit there and wait on the temperatures to sprout and come out of the ground. You know, we've actually planted some soybeans in a 45 to 48, you know, degree temperature and did okay. Now, they will slow down, but if you put the right groceries under them, then they're prepared for that kind of weather. Is there a particular variety that you use that does better when planted earlier versus others? Year before last, we planted a crop in February and we come back and planted a second bean crop in July, the 1st of July. That worked perfect year before last. We started on that same scenario this year and it didn't work at all because we got the wrong temperature. So if I'm going out there to plant beans, if the normal planting date in our area is April 15th and I'm going March 15th, if I'm not trying to get some type of second crop behind that, which is still not proven to be, you know, a standard practice, then I'm going to go with a mid-group four, which would be between, say, a four six and a four nine maturity variety. Matt, I'm curious, when you are able to double crop like that, where do you store your beans? Do you store them on farm? We store beans on farm when we need to. Again, I always reference back to the heat, but when our beans start maturing, if we start getting any kind of excess moisture with the temperatures we have, they'll start deteriorating and basically rotting in the pot. 
are sprouting in the pod. So there's been some situations where we've got into that scenario and had to store some beans and blend them with some other beans, you know, that were better quality to come out with a better grade. But for the most part, the majority of our beans go to the elevator. And the earlier that you can do that today, now this may not happen in 10 years if everybody goes to an earlier planting day, but the earlier you can get that bean out, the less lines you have to deal with at the elevator. Just out of curiosity, where is the closest elevator to you? It would be about 10 miles from, from my central farm. The majority of our beans go on the Mississippi River and then go to the Gulf for export. Going back, Matt, when we started talking about early planting of soybeans, exactly how long have you been incorporating that into your farming plan? I've gotten really early in the last five years. Like I said, every year we move that. So we would start, you know, just reverse back six years ago. And our normal planting target date was April 15th. We'd go April 5th on, say, 500 acres. Then the next year we would go April 1st. And then the last week of March. You know, I remember that was probably four years ago we went the last week of March. Then we started studying, you know, last frost dates and freeze temperatures and when the average would be and kind of have rounded out to the point that we think middle of March probably is the safest time to do that. And see, the, what's tough about that is we don't have replant insurance on soybeans when you get that early. You know, there's people trying to get that change because it's about to become a, a normal practice. But, you know, I think you may have a question later on that will address that, but that's something you have to really pay attention to. Now, you have mentioned that you have seen a two-plus bushel benefit by planting soybeans early. Any other benefits that you have seen as a result of doing so? The two bushels is probably minimal. I mean, if you take a 10-year a 10 year span of early planting being prior to our normal planting day, you know, we're probably looking at somewhere between five and 15 bushels. And then if you go further out, you know, later that even increases more than that. So the other benefits to me is it's kind of efficiency with equipment. You know, you're planting beans and corn at the same time, but getting them out early. We have a lot of these hurricanes that come in the Gulf in our area that come up the Mississippi River. So, you know, if we get into those scenarios, sometimes it will really, you know, deteriorate our crops. So early harvest, you know, quicker canopy temperature, less weed pressure. When we plant those beans in March, you know, we put out a pre-merge chemical to keep the Palmer amaranth down. That's one thing that we really have to fight here because it's resistant to most chemicals. And if you plant that bean earlier, that's more of a summer weed. So they don't emerge as quicker. So you don't have to put the pre-merge on there, which kind of stunts the beans when they're coming up. So there's an advantage there also. Matt, how do you then protect the seed when it's planted early? Basically, we run a really good insecticide fungicide program on our seed, our seed coating. A lot of times we'll add an additional fungicide in furrow and just making sure that your planter's set right where that seed's under the ground, covered good, you know, and there's fertility products in there also. Just anything we can do to, you know, we treat plants just like a human. It's a living organism. So, you know, if you send your kid to school on a 40 degree day, you're going to put a coat on them. You know, that's kind of the way we treat a plant. If we're going to put that plant in an adverse condition, you know, we want everything there that it needs to survive in that situation. Matt, have you changed your planting plan for other crops as well? A little bit. We were doing this with corn and we have learned through this process that we're probably better off to plant our corn a tad bit later and plant our beans earlier. Now we're at the point where we're having to plant the beans and the corn basically at the same time. So it takes 
some really good management, strategic management planning. You know, we actually went in and bought an extra planner, you know, to take care of some of that so we could be planting multiple crops at the same time. As a result of doing things a little bit differently on the planting dates, have you had to make any changes to the equipment you're using? Just adding, you know, adding the planter. And we did the math on that, you know, and if you're looking at, say, an average of a eight bushel increase at just use $10, that's $80 an acre, you know, so that's 80 grand per thousand. So, you know, a, a planter is going to cost somewhere between 50 and 200,000 depending on what you buy, but you don't have to pay for that in one year. So it's more than producing a positive ROI by adding that planter. And we're actually getting all of our crops planted sooner. What kind of mistakes have you made along the way? Last year, I tried to plant them too early. We're trying to figure out our big question is how early is too early. The first year we did that, we planted in February and we had some pretty cold weather following that, which allowed that bean to stay in the ground longer, which sounds counterproductive, but in those temperatures, it's better for it to be there waiting to come out of the ground. This year, we did the same scenario and we had a really warm spell for about nine days. The beans come up early. Then we hit some cold weather and the cold weather killed them. That's a month ahead of when we're talking about normal planting. You know, you can go too early. You know, we're still working with population. The data shows today that you can probably plant half the population that we normally plant and receive the same yield. When we're planting those beans early, we increase the population. I've tried to do it with the lower population, and we just don't get enough seeds up per acre to, you know, to counteract that. Matt, we talked about soybean varieties specifically, but have you made changes in how you select varieties for your other crops? We always on our farm have an on-farm strip trial type scenario. We'll take some of the best leading top yielding varieties, no matter what crop that is, and we'll put them in our farming management situation. Because a soybean that may work really good for me may not work for a guy in North Arkansas or or even up in the Midwest. So it's really important to us to have on-farm testing on these varieties. I made the comment the other day to someone, I had a guy say, well, seed just seed. You know, they put the same variety of soybean in 10 different bags. That's not always true. There is some seed that's that way, but some that's not. And some of the biggest mistakes I've made are selecting the wrong varieties. So, you know, that would cost you more yield than almost anything. I think you have addressed this throughout our show here today, but I'm going to ask in case there's anything else, how else have you changed your management plan? With the early planting soybeans, planting on the same time as the corn, You've just got to be on top of it more. You've got to have the capabilities to manage that crop. You can't have tunnel vision of one crop. Okay, I'm going to get this one planted. I'm going to manage to get it planted. Then I'm going to go plant number two crop, then number three. If you're in the Midwest, you're predominantly planting two crops. It takes twice the management to get both those crops planted in the same month. Any other lessons that you have learned throughout this process, Matt? Basically, just to calm down and, and let it happen. Don't get scared you plant the crops and you start seeing a cold weather event coming along. If it's a long extended period, probably get scared. If it's not, you know, back to the insurance deal, we feel like that we'd rather take the chance and plant that bean early and not have it insured for replant than we had to have the insurance and plant it later just because increased yield. Matt, any other advice when it comes to planting soybeans early? Probably be prepared at harvest If you have corn and beans, be prepared at harvest to harvest multiple crops. So if you plant multiple crops early, then be prepared to to harvest multiple crops late. Because if you get in a situation where 
you've got one combine and you've got to choose between two crops, you know, that's going to be a, an issue. So make sure you're prepared for whatever you do at the beginning. Make sure you're prepared at the ending for the same results. What kinds of questions have your neighbors asked you when they see you out there planting early? Well, most of them think I'm crazy for, you know, for the most part, or they did at one time. Now we've got people, quite a bit of the uh, the community now is planting their beans earlier, maybe not quite as earlier as we are, but they're actually uh, planting earlier. The biggest scare is, and what you've got to get over is that that soybean is probably the most toughest plant that we grow down here. You know, I've seen them take two frost and still survive to the point that a lot of times, you know, it seems like the more you beat a soybean up, the better it does. You know, you've heard of people rolling them and, you know, mowing them, trying to kill them. You know, we've, we've got some plots out. We actually spray a herbicide on there that should kill a bean, but we spray it at a low enough rate that it just stunts the bean and makes him really get mad and, and come on. I feel like I talk about soil health a lot when I'm visiting with farmers. So Matt, do you work on soil health? Is that something that is part of your whole plan? We are accomplishing that. As far as accomplished period, we're in very low CEC soils. We have a lot of flooding issues at times. So, you know, our soils go anaerobic. For the soil that we farm on, we feel like we've advanced a long ways. Is there still room to go? Absolutely. But soil health is something in the last five years that really paid attention to more than in the previous years. So, you know, and there's a lot of help out there you know, through sustainability efforts to increase your soil health. But that is probably one of the biggest things that we pay attention to is soil health and fertility. That's your beginning steps. You start with a soil sample and from the previous fall. And that's our guide. That's our roadmap, no matter what crop we're growing to where we want to get the next fall. So, you know, that's the most important thing we do is pull those soil samples on a grid. And then we know what our soil's got in it. If not, you know, then we don't really know what we're playing with. Do you use biologicals at all? We do some, we use a lot of poultry litter. So it has a lot of biological activity in it anyway. And so we're struggling in ways to see, they're refining that as we go. So some of these nitrogen fixing bacteria that we've applied, we've seen results out of that. We've actually been able to cut our nitrogen back on our corn and cotton and replace it with natural biology you know, and create the same yield effect in the end. Very interesting, Matt. I'm glad I asked that question. Do you use cover crops on your farming operation? We work with cover crops. They're a little more difficult in a furrow irrigation situation because we're not able to plant flat. We have to have that furrow for irrigation. Sometimes that negates that furrow. So last year we had probably 3,000 acres of cover crops. It was the first real success we've had to be able to terminate that cover crop, get the crop planted and and make everything work. So that's a yes and no, I guess, from me. And what about strip-till or no-till practices? Do you engage in any of those? We have no-till practices on our rice. It's hard to do no-till with furrow irrigation. We have to have that that furrow opened up at some point in time. So we are more on a minimum till type situation. Mike, I know we have been focusing on soybeans. We've talked about corn a little bit, but let's spend a few minutes talking about your corn crop. What might be some things that you do a little bit differently in the farming plan for that that might be outside the norm? Where the majority of our rice is grown is on zero grade, so there's no elevation to it at all. We're able to completely no-till that every year, and you know we recapture our irrigation water you know, and use it again. 
and like I said, it's all flat. Now we normally harvest it in the mud, unfortunately. This year we didn't. So that causes us to have to have a lot of track machines so we can go into the field and harvest or plant or whatever. And instead of making a 24 inch rut, we make a two inch rut. That way we can continue the no-till. Matt, is there anything else you would like to mention here today or anything else you have thought about during our conversation? I can't think of anything in particular other than, you know, I always caution people when they're doing something new, getting outside of the box, you know, don't do your whole crop. You know, if you're going to experiment with early soybeans, plant a percentage of your soybean acres early and learn how to manage that because it is a different system when you start putting that crop up there forward with the corn. It's a lot more management because you've got the two crops doing the same thing. This has been a great interview, and I appreciate it very much. Once again, a big thank you to Matt Miles for being on the show here today. The show has been brought to you by Corteva AgriScience, where they provide cutting-edge solutions for farmers worldwide. Learn more at Corteva.com. I'm Lori Boyer for Successful Farming. 